Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Primate Cast. We're your hosts, Andrew McIntosh. And Chris Martin. And we're going to be moving along with our series of five podcasts here, the third installment. And we're going to be joined by Dr. Joseph Call. Right, so Dr. Joseph Call is senior scientist at the Department of Psychology at the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology in Leipzig, Germany, where he is also the director of the Wolfgang Kohler Primate Research Center. And that is actually uh, based at the Leipzig Zoo, which is really state-of-the-art. They have all four great ape species, which enables them to do these really kind of in-depth studies, comparative studies across great apes. Yeah, so we're going to pick up Dr. Call talking about his experiences and his time there at, uh, at Max Planck Institute in Leipzig. And we'll be getting into a lot of conversation about where we're at in the field of animal comparative cognition. You've been at Leipzig for quite a while now, and there's a lot of work that's coming out of there. It's quite exciting, um, especially in the world of comparative cognition and things like that. So how, how has that been for you? And oh, It's been great. I mean, Leipzig was a great opportunity to be able to do something that I've always wanted to do, which is compare the great apes. Because very often in the literature, I mean, two things happen in the literature. Things have been changing lately, but anyway, the two things that happen in the literature are these. One, the studies on ape cognition are dominated by chimpanzee cognition. And the second thing is that when there are studies about other species, normally, very often, uh, the, the methods that are used are different. So then when you find a difference between orangutans and chimpanzees, you don't know whether that's a species difference or is it simply because they use different methods. So the, the, uh, the, the great opportunity at Leipzig was to say, okay, let's, let's study a number of topics that, uh, that, we, that we are interested in, and then, but let's do it using the same methods whenever possible. Uh, so in that sense, Leipzig has been a great opportunity. How has that? How have the different tasks translated to the different species? I mean, have you found some that are easier than others to manage? The the um, in general, the tasks that we use are in general the same. I mean, we are in this sense studying great apes is not as challenging as could be studying, say, great apes and and uh, birds, because. I mean, basically, the, the tasks you can design in the same way. The, the main adjustments that we will do sometimes is for the size of their hands. So if you're testing the silverback, well, you're going to need bigger things. Uh, if you're testing the little ones, again, smaller. So that has been, I would say, I would need to think about it, but that's been the main adjustment in terms of the test. The apparatuses often are the same, and we just simply change panels. So one of the issues that was talked about today was the issue of resolution of data. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that the way the system works that you've set up in Leipzig is you have a question and the first priority is to get a yes or a no. Does, mm-hmm. does this phenomenon exist? Yeah. And then you kind of move forward from there. And is that, is that something, is something that you see as kind of uh, a method that you've, you've championed at, at Leipzig and, and it's not totally applied in the world of animal uh, behavior, or how do, you, how do you see that issue? No, not necessarily. I think that other people use it too. Uh, of course, if you want to investigate something, the first thing you need to do is document that it exists, that right. it occurs. And once you have that, then you can see you know, what is the cognitive processes that are controlling the behavior that mm-hmm. you're observing. But I don't think this is unique about Leipzig. I think other people use it right. with their questions. The thing that is uh, perhaps the, 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 what I was saying, the low resolution, yes, has to do with this. But sometimes, very often, what happens is um, the phenomenon is documented and then the work stops. Mm-hmm. And that 
is, is fine as a first step, but it leaves lots of open questions. And I think, uh, I mean, when, 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 uh, when, uh, when we have found some results, say, 10 years ago, at that point, there were so many alternative interpretations that we had to run more studies to really know. Now, I mean, we're talking about a process that took 10 years. Mm -hmm. So you cannot expect to wait 10 years to publish the paper, right? So you, you present something that you think is, a, is, a, is an advance, and, and from there, you need to keep working on it. And you also give the opportunity to your colleagues to also mm. work on it. And this, this is an issue that we've talked about on the Primate Cast before, with specifically with great ape scientists, mm -hmm. in the sense that there's kind of the history of great ape science, especially decades and decades ago, was full of anecdotes. And yeah. so it was kind of necessary to create a system for taking those anecdotes and yeah. putting them under the microscope. And it seems like you've done that really well at Leipzig. Mm -hmm. So the, is, that, the, is that a priority that you've had? Yes. Uh, the, I think the anecdotes... The anecdotes have a very important role to play. Mm -hmm. Very often, when we are when we are working with the apes, we will see things that we've never seen before, and we could leave it at that. We could say, "Oh, I saw this once," but I think this is, in fact, is the first step to develop a research program. We say, "Isn't that interesting? Let's find out, you know, how come um, how come it, it came out that way." So, but. You know, one thing that is very important, if we really want to move to a, a truly comparative cognition, think about the analysis that have been done on cognition, correlating cognition with other uh, things. I mean, at first, we were using um, anatomical measures of the brain. There was nothing else. So, And then people started using meta-analysis of studies that had been done with different goals, with different methods, but that's what you have. I think what we need to move is to a system that um, we design the studies from the beginning and then we test them on a number of subjects to get what I think would be really high quality data. But of course that's wonderful, but that requires massive effort, not just by one lab. I mean, mm -hmm. this is this is a job of entire field of of different labs working together. I don't think there is any other way. And you say, well, this will never happen. Well, when people had to sequence the genome, that's what they did. Mm -hmm. the labs across the world, they just um, decided to work together, and, and they did it. And you mentioned today that one of the things that you were interested in is creating batteries tests. Mm -hmm. And is that kind of your vision to have these batteries that get applied? all over the world in different institutes in a standardized measure? Ideally, yes, but that would not be the only contribution. I think it's very important that the batteries are not seen as... The batteries do not become the question. Right. The batteries should always be understood as a tool to get to the question mm -hmm. because very often it's, it's un understandable, I think, that you know once you develop an instrument and then it's handy and works, everybody uses it. And the goal for which that instrument is uh, created somehow disappears. I mean, you know, when, let's say, I'll give you an example on theory of mind. So you have a theory of mind task, and, you know, the, you have the false belief, the, the Wimmer and Perner false belief, or the Salian uh, task. Well, at some point, th there are other ways of testing theory of mind, but those have become the way. And if you are not passing those, you don't have it. But let's not forget that that's just one instrument. 
It's not the thing you're trying to measure. So having said that, I think the batteries have a number of advantages. I mean, one advantage is that you can test not only one ability, but multiple abilities. And then that will also give you information about individual differences that you can correlate across, uh, across uh, tasks. Uh, and it also it would allow you to control for some of the variables that are going to have a serious impact on, on competitive cognition, which is things like animals not only differ in terms of their cognition, they differ across other things, motivation, temperament. Traditionally, what people have done is, let's control those variables, let's have the animals equated on those variables, and then let's measure what is left. That's one approach, and I'm not saying we should abandon that, but I think it should be complemented by another approach that it does, it does not throw away that variability, but it considers that part as part of, the, of what you're measuring. So I want to step back just a little bit from that, because I think one of the main reasons why all of this has become so important, and you mentioned in the talk there, is that we started with the question of why is Aptulius so confusing? So where do we stand on that, the knowledge of what they can can't do um, currently? I think, I think that... Um, the things that we observe, the things that we see, depend tremendously on their developmental history, but also on the problem that they are faced with and the conditions that are given for them to solve it. Um, I think what we are observing, and if you think that when we are working with, uh, with species that are very flexible, it makes sense that in different environments, they're gonna produce different things or we are gonna see different things. So we really have to, um, to, to pay attention to that. So a chimpanzee tested in one setting uh, or observed in one setting, it gives us a sample of the things that that same chimpanzee could do. And I think when it's exposed to a different social setting, to a different setting, to a different task, uh, then I think you can get results. So in that sense, I think that's what what we are getting for to use. I'm interested in, so this is an issue with all of people that study chimpanzees, is that their laboratories have so many experiments, but it's the same subject. Yeah. So what do you think about these studies that on one individual yeah. and how they do on all these different tasks, kind of a comprehensive view of one, of it, one chimp? It's got, I mean, that approach got advantages and disadvantages. Mm -hmm. One disadvantage is that, I mean, sometimes I, I envy the robotics people that, you know, they can do a test and then they press the reset button and then they start all over again, mm -hmm. okay, and then they do another task. We cannot do that with, uh, with, uh, with the individuals that we study. Uh, so f from that point of view, that's, that's a problem. But at the same time, uh, and, and they have a baggage. When they come into, into your task, you wonder whether what they did a month ago or three months ago is going to have an impact on that. This is something we worry about. One way that we try to solve that is, first of all, keep track of everything that they do. That's imperf imperfect, I mean, you cannot, I mean. And the second thing, you can keep track of what tests they go through, but what they learn out of those tests, that's a different matter. But what you can do is, every once in a while, some of the tests that you use with the individuals that you normally test, you test them somewhere else. You test them with naive individuals, and, and then you see what you get. Mm. Uh, so that's as a, as a check. And, you know, let me be completely frank, sometimes you get the same thing, but sometimes you don't. Mm. Um, but, I mean, this is something we need to be aware of and something that we need to consider. Uh, now, that's the disadvantages if you want. Now, the advantages is that 
if you are studying the same individual for say 12, 15, 20 years, and you have a good record of what this individual has done, you can do a number of things, including you can correlate across tasks. Mm -hmm. If you are testing the same task multiple times over time, you can see whether that changes. And these, the longitudinal studies that this could generate, that data is really good data because most of the develop, developmental studies that we have in our field, I mean, here with, with in the PRI is an exception because the three infants have been followed for a number of years, but most of them are, are cross-sectional. They're not longitudinal. And, and that can be a, a, a real problem, especially when individuals are highly variable mm -hmm. uh, and our samples are small. So, so that's, I think, another great advantage to, to have the same individual you know, tested across a lifetime. Now, your research, uh, let's say in the past decade or so, has also expanded beyond even primates and then to start incorporating yeah. another group of organisms that actually show remarkably similar, or you might even call them convergent, yeah. tool use type behaviors. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the thing started by, I was initially focused on the great apes, and then I got exposed to monkeys, and then I realized that, wow, I learned a lot about great apes when I watch monkeys. And from there on, then there's no, there's no stopping. And uh, so it's, it's, I think, the beauty of the comparative method is that every time you study a new species, if you remember what the old species did, the one that you studied before, you can establish these comparisons and, and then wonder, you know, given these, these kind of situations, why these species would respond this way or that way. Um, it also, by studying multiple species, it also allows us to start to develop a database of high quality data, high resolution data, to use the, the, the terminology we were using before, that can help us uh, test evolutionary hypotheses. Mm -hmm. Because with just one, two, three, or four species, we are not gonna be able to do that. So when, I mean, I'm sometimes very jealous about those graphs, anatomical features, say, take a brain measurements. You have multiple species and you have, you know, those, and you can do so many good analysis with that kind of data. And so what has the, the study of, I'll take Corvids for the example, um, what has the study for you of Corvids kind of uh, illuminated about yeah. the way that, that great apes operate as well? In, in, in two ways. I mean, one way would be, let's say you have a Corvid that solves the same problem as an ape, both are successful, but then when you analyze and you enter into this high resolution data, you start to ask more detailed questions about how they solve this, then you see interesting differences. And then you see, is you know, given that both solve the problem, so it's, no, it's not a question that one can do it and the other cannot, both can do it, then it becomes really interesting to know how each of them does it, because although the outcome may be the same, the path that they use to get there may be very different, and I think it's, that's really fascinating. I think you, you, the way that you talk about this in, in your talk as well, you were very you wanted to be very clear that you're not talking about a difference necessarily in intelligence per se. So right. this is not a smart animal mm -hmm. versus a dun, yeah, dumb animal. Absolutely. It really depends on the context absolutely. and the experience. Yeah. And, and it links with something that we said before, is that you can put an animal in one, in one situation and you may get one thing. You put it in a different situation, you get something completely different. The history of animal cognition is full of examples of people have tested uh, their animals in a particular way because that's the way the primatologists have done it, and then they got nowhere. They changed the method, and then they produced something completely different. So I think that's also uh, a 
very important lesson for us. So what's next on the agenda? Well, I think that, you know, one thing that it would be great to develop is to, to forge some, we had some, some collaborations with, uh, say, the people in Cambridge with Nikki Clayton and Nathan Emery for, in terms of the Corbett's and with Thomas Bunyar in Vienna. I think one thing that would be really nice is to, to, to develop something more long-term, uh, something where we pose a question and then say innovation, let's study innovation. And during the next three or five years, you come up with a way to test innovation in different ways, and then you study how different species approach this problem, how they solve it. And one thing that is very important, this is not just a cooperation between you know, one lab with another lab. Ideally, what you want to have is multiple people studying multiple species. That is, if there is one species that's studying chimpanzees in Leipzig, you know, people studying chimpanzees in Japan or in the U.S. are very welcome because group variability is one issue that is it's the same as individual variability. Is we can try to ignore it as much as we can, but I think the differences are there, and uh, I think if we can continue to ignore it, but I don't think that's very productive. Right, and I've I've heard that um, criticism before of a lot of uh, literature that kind of has an eye-popping title, like chimpanzees do this or chimpanzees don't do that, when really they're talking about yeah. a chimpanzee in this context, at this place. Absolutely. I think, I think, I mean, this is, I am, I am certain that the people that are writing those papers, and we are, some of us, some of us are writing those papers, uh, I know for us, because I'm going to tell you, but I'm certain that our colleagues also, uh, they are aware that this is a sample of, say, six chimpanzees mm -hmm. and these chimpanzees have a very special background and special I mean because they are in the lab the, the chimpanzees in Sonso or in Thai or they have a very special background they have a unique background right okay so then I think what happens is that um, you're gonna have things when you compare across groups when you test the same thing or you observe the same thing some things are gonna be the same they're not gonna vary they're universal to you want there are other things that are gonna vary and those have to do with, you know, kind of individuals you are studying. Mm -hmm. Dr. Call, thanks very much for joining us. Thank, Thank you so much. much. Okay. You have been listening to the Primate Cast, a podcast series dedicated to the study and conservation of primates around the world. Brought to you by the Centre for International Collaboration and Advanced Studies in Primatology of the Primate Research Institute of Kyoto University. Visit us online at www.cicasp.pri.kyoto-u.ac.jp forward slash news forward slash podcasts and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash the primatecast and on Twitter at the primatecast.